by my friend Ford. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Not too bad. Um, is quarantine getting to you yet? <laughs> yeah, well, I work from home, and so really this didn't affect my routine all that much. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. That's kind of nice. I just get up and move a foot to bed and or move a foot to my chair and I'm at work. <laughs> Perfect. So have you always done that then? Even before? Well, yeah, you said it doesn't really affect your schedule. So, Well, I've been doing it for a while. I've had uh, different office jobs and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been working home for a bit. My dad's been doing it for almost 20 years. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad, though, because I know that for some people who've had to majorly shift things during this, you know, during the pandemic, it's been, it's been tough. So I'm glad that you're doing all right. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the reason, so I invited you on the show today, we're going to talk a little bit about mental health for people who don't know May is mental health awareness month. And I know that for a lot of people who came out of evangelicalism, a lot of us really didn't get a very good uh, perspective, I guess, on mental health while we were evangelical. Um, And I've talked a lot about my own experiences with that on the show. So I'm just going to give it to you for it. And you can tell us if you if you would, what your experience was as an evangelical um, regarding mental health. It wasn't, I kind of grew up in the evangelical church um, Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of uh, involvement. When I was real young, you know, uh, five to 12 or so, we weren't really all that involved. We went to church, went mm-hmm. and saw my granddad do the, you know, the, uh, the passion plays and the Easter stories and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Every year we went on Christmas. Uh, wasn't really that involved um, until about when I was 13, 14 years old, my okay. parents were going through a uh, a pretty rough separation for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started to go to church more with, um, with my mother specifically. Um, and this was about the time, probably as best I can remember, um, that I probably started to exhibit signs, the first signs of depression. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's something that can necessarily be triggered by it, uh, yeah. by a dramatic event, but I mean, it certainly didn't help. Yeah. And, and just as a side note, it's hard for me to remember a lot of it because of I was also disassociating and was just completely checked out for mm-hmm. a large part of my childhood. Like yeah. I, there's just huge swaths I don't remember because I just yeah. was not there mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we started to go to church more and it sort of helped in in some way when, mm-hmm. at, at first because it, w- it was something really solid that or it felt solid at the time. Like, because, you know, you grew up with this, that, you know, God's a thing. It exists. It's always right. there for you. Uh, it's something that you can go back to whenever 
you feel sad or you're scared or that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but then I got older, started going to high school. Uh, I got I got involved in like deeply wanting to just do things in the church. I went I went on a mission trip. I went to summer camp every year. Had the mm-hmm. big um, group hugs and you know just trying to be with people. Um, yeah. And, but I always had this kind of, like, I still felt just, you know, horribly just sad all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and of course, when you try to go to someone, you try to go to a leader, you try to talk to your friends about it, it's always, let's pray about it, trust mm-hmm. in Jesus. Um, and I honestly didn't really feel that there was like a Jesus block whenever I tried to be like really vulnerable with somebody Mm -hmm. so I tried to just I couldn't just talk to somebody and tell them that I was feeling real quick can I curse on here or not or is this yeah okay Um, like I just I just would feel awful and I couldn't talk to anybody without having to I couldn't vent I couldn't mm-hmm. just connect in pain with somebody um because we always had to go back to Jesus right right yeah <laughs> I hear that and then there was the compounding anxieties of you know you had like rapture theology I would wake up on a Saturday morning I had slept late my parents had gone out early for something uh, and my brother went with him or whatever, or he was still asleep in, in his room. And, you know, so I wake up thinking there was nobody in the house and everybody had been raptured and I'd been left. Behind. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember was, that. <laughs> yeah. And this was before uh, I didn't really have a cell phone until I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I didn't have much of a need, need for one. Yeah. Uh, I if I went to a friend's house, I would just call my parents on the on the house phone and tell them that I got I've got there okay, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't go out late and all that kind of stuff. So it's but I would wake up and there'd just be nobody around. My dad had a cell phone, but it was you know we're out in the boondocks. There's no good service anywhere, so I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And I would just spend a good like hour or something, terrified that I had been left mm. behind. Oh. Gosh. Yeah. Until my brother woke <laughs> up and wanted waffles. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Waffles will fix everything. <laughs> and but then that's... you also have... go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Well, no, it's just if you're already dealing with um like depression and anxiety, those rapture anxieties that at least, you know, were I went into an to an assembly of God church and and talk about the rapture was pretty prevalent. And so when they're constantly feeding that on top of what you're already dealing with. I mean, that is, that's a really tough place to be for a kid. And especially when you try to reach out for help and people um, just want to put Jesus on you because Jesus makes it all okay. <laughs> yeah. And the, my, I, I was uh, Southern Baptist. Okay. Um, and they, my, at least my church wasn't so, um, heavy on rapture it was something that we talked about but they didn't have you know like the 
those rapture paintings or whatever. They didn't make us watch Thief in the Night. Oh, uh, gosh. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're very fortunate. We watched that <laughs> stuff and I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm either going to, I'm probably not going to make the cut when the rapture happens. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to allow myself to be, it was horrible. It was just yeah. horrible. <laughs> One thing they did uh, really drive home though was the, and this is the worst thing you can possibly do for anyone in uh, suffering from some kind of depression or mood disorder like that is they would drive mm-hmm. home the, you are so worthless without God. Aren't you so <sighs> lucky? that yes. God loves you so much that he's willing to sh- save you, even though you're so terrible. Right. Um, and so I would, I just, you know, I'd walk around thinking, and especially when I was just in these deep, deep depressions, I didn't even call it depression back then mm-hmm. because I, you know, I didn't know how to identify it. Um, right. But, but I would walk around in those deep depressions and not be able to be happy and, not be able to quite fit in with the rest of my church going folk. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause this is, I was also trying to be the weird Christian emo kid. So it was a, a strange <laughs> dichotomy of, of, right. of, of listening to the used and, <laughs> and hanging out, like going to worship Jesus. So oh, wow. a, part of, a part of me was trying to deal with the sadness. Yeah. Um, through outside means, but I feel like I was always failing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not trusting God enough for, uh, I was not trusting God enough to make my sadness go away or to yeah. take control of my life. And it, there was one uh, pastor who <laughs> like actually suggested maybe there's something chemically wrong with you because that's our understanding of what depression is right now Mm -hmm. is that it's a, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. And he was like the first one to actually say that. Um, But of course I didn't talk to anyone about it either because there was still that stigma of therapy and medication and, and that sort of thing that's still prevalent in a lot of churches. So, I mean, I didn't consider going to therapy. The only time I went to therapy was, I was forced to go to this kind of, I don't know if he was specifically a Christian counselor, but he was a very religious therapist type person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I ran into the same problem where there was like a Jesus block there. I didn't want to have to be read Bible verses and pray and all that kind of stuff. I just right. wanted to, I just wanted to vent and be sad and be mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was the, there was, it was just, I felt like there was no way to be within myself mm-hmm. during that time. And to compound all of this during, there was a long period of about two years where I was being regularly sexually assaulted. Oh, um, yeah, it was mostly by the my fellow youth group members because there was this mm. weird kind of bro locker room culture okay. um the worst of it being you know we'd go to summer camp the dudes would be running around in their towels uh flashing you and mm. doing all kinds of just 
overtly mm. sexual things. Right. And I was, it was this very, <laughs> it threw me for a loop because, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is notoriously homophobic and right. <laughs> anti-LGBT and all that kind of right. stuff. And there was just, so I was going through all of that, just mm-hmm. family was falling apart or seemed like at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. First signs of depression, anxiety, and having to go through all of that assault. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. It, it was a lot to deal with. I, yeah. I kind of sort of tried to find other things out of outside of the church when I was in yeah. high school. Um, <laughs> I joined ROTC long before, you know, I realized I could never actually be a soldier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just trying, I was trying to follow in the steps of my grandfather. He was in the Navy. Okay. You know, got a Purple Heart and World War II and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the few kind of positive role models I had in my life at the time, he, he died a couple of years before all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was one of the few positive role models that I had. And, I thought I kind of wanted to follow in those footsteps. I, I remained yeah. religious. I was the chaplain for our ROTC group. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, not that there was a lot for me to do there. Really, mm-hmm. I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't much of a job. Um, <laughs> but you were trying to. You were because I've done the same thing. I mean, trying to honor your faith, even as you're exploring things outside of what you know. You know, because yeah. um, like some part of you knows that what you know isn't really working, but you still want to honor that faith as you go looking elsewhere. I mean, yeah, yeah, I get that. And then you, you know, you've got especially in evangelical circles, they, you know, they tell you that you need to be Christian in everything that you do, which is how I wound right. up being, you know, that Christian emo kid. It's like I want to, I like all the dark clothes and the eyeliner and the hair dye and that <laughs> kind of stuff, but yeah. uh, I. I still need to talk about Jesus a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, I was trying to, I was trying to do all that and still be Christian and my moving away from Christianity wasn't really kind of a conscious thing for me. Mm-hmm. It was a slow, just getting out of those circles. Right. Um, and seeing other things out there. I, I, I got a girlfriend in high school and she was not particularly religious. She grew up Catholic, ironically, went to the tiny Catholic church right next to our giant <laughs> SBC mega church. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that's another thing that, you know, with the, the sexual shaming of that often happens in the SBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel awful for even wanting to like kiss your girlfriend or just explore yourself as a young person discovering your sexuality uh yeah that was heavily yeah it was in our church too so yeah yeah. (laughs) all the while i'm being sexually assaulted uh and but being made to feel guilty for sexual acts or wanting to partake or explore sexual acts right and it was all just two different sides pulling at me yeah until i didn't know which way was up anymore yeah um so by the time i actually went to college i went to college in a different town Mm -hmm. i 
I went there for English literature, so we I ended up just reading books and from different different people, different cultures, um, different parts of history, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of just seeing different things out there, talking to new people. Um, the first person trans person I ever met was in college and of course Mm -hmm. I was an idiot in college and (laughs) I didn't know how to to act around a trans person or to be right decent towards them I I never I never misgendered them but they um but I would I would ask dumb questions about like what does that mean to be this and Mm -hmm. trying to be sort of that nosy little Christian person who's trying to insert themselves into something that they have no business being in. Right. Um, because yeah. that was the way you're, you know, you're taught Absolutely. as an evangelical person to do anything. It's just, just 100%. Kinda, <laughs> yeah. You just kind of wiggle your way in yeah. and be annoying until you get your information. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, as you were saying that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking while well, you were raised evangelical. So, I mean, that's what we were taught to do. It's yeah. just be that person. <laughs> yeah. Really, really the, uh, like me starting to move away from Christianity was me starting to doubt the Bible because, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even on like a historical grounds. It was kind of, it was more of a, a sort of, um, I see all these people in my church who they'll read the Bible, they'll, be brought to tears, uh, they'll find all this meaning in something that they're reading Mm -hmm. and I'll read it. And I didn't get that. I desperately wanted that, Mm -hmm. but I just could not, I couldn't, it didn't connect to me in the same way. And there was kind of a little germ of a thought in my head. It's like, okay, if this book is so holy and it affects them like that, is it because I'm a bad person? <laughs> is, and, but it, but then I was just like, okay, so is this really a, a holy book then? If it's, if it doesn't automatically do to everyone what it does to these people, mm-hmm. how true is it then? Right. Yeah. And then I started to get into the more historical stuff and what and doubting um, authorship and translation and intention of authorship. And of course, as I made more friends in college, you know, uh, people of all kinds, different, uh, you know, races and religions and atheists and uh, Mm -hmm. LGBT people. And, you know, I became friends with them. They became people that I cared about. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to, I didn't want to hold on to that kind of, that homophobia, that yeah. uh, that othering of people mm-hmm. that I had learned growing up. I wanted to, yeah, you know, I wanted to be friends with these people and I wanted to connect with them. Right. And so I just started to move away from all of that Um but of course, dealing with mental illness um, 
first starting to as I was as I was you know later in college first starting to ma- manifest symptoms of post traumatic stress disorder mm. um, be, just being away from all of that being somewhere that was safe where the rest of that you know that kind of stuff to manifest uh, I just kind of imploded for a long time really before I got any help um, I didn't I wasn't I started smoking that made me feel better I started drinking I was I never really drank before I was old enough to do so but once I did and I kind of had permission I always drank too much I had yeah a really serious problem with that um yeah I can really too <laughs> yeah I was never really like a uh I was never a I need a whiskey to get out of bed in the morning drunk mm-hmm. but I was a I was like a binge drinker yeah I'd, I'd say this is you know I'm gonna go out to a bar and I'm gonna have uh, one beer and that'll turn into six right um that sort of thing. And I, that I think was probably the worst of what, like one of the worst ways I've tried to cope really. Yeah. Um, this, cause I just, I'd get blackout drunk and I, yeah. I ruin parties and wouldn't, wouldn't remember what I did. And, mm. and, you know, I know that I just caused so much harm. Yeah. And then crawl back and beg for forgiveness. And yeah. Just. It was, yeah. it was. And this continued well into my, you know, like mid 20s. Right. Um, I mean, when you uh, weren't, we, you know, we were never really equipped to deal with you know, certainly not a mood disorder or a mental health disorder of any kind. And even just regular emotions, we were barely equipped to deal with as evangelicals. So anything above and beyond the norm, you know, especially something that is as life altering as, as a mental illness, um, you know, certainly we were not raised to tackle that head on or even whatsoever, because it was always, you know, read your Bible and pray about it. And if it's still bothering you, just read your Bible and pray more, you know? So, I mean, the, I think the naturally, unfortunately, I think substance abuse issues for some of us is a kind of a natural outcome of never having been told a healthy and appropriate way to, to tackle these things. So, I mean, it's terrible, but it's not really surprising. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for, people experiencing any kind of trauma and for whatever reason, having to hide it or not being able to properly deal with it. Um, Evangelicalism is uh, of course unique in that. And they actively discourage you from seeking mental health service, health services. And, you know, I was even resistant to that. Well, like, you know, well after I left, I said, I'm not a Christian anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I was still resistant to the uh, getting help because I was still yeah. also holding on to that, a lot of that uh, machismo manhood crap. Mm. 
that William Bentai. You know, you always get, yeah. you get that uh, biblical man manhood feel. Yeah. Um, very young mm-hmm. when you're um, a man in evangelicalism. You're supposed to be headship of the house. You're supposed to be able to control your emotions. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be able to take charge and power through it and, and deal with any situation that you come up against, uh, yeah. including yourself. Yeah. You have to constantly fight yourself all the time. Yep. Um, yeah. So I, <laughs> I was dealing with a lot of that crap and it's hard to shake cause I didn't get therapy until I had, you know, ruined uh, a relationship really important to me and, mm-hmm. uh, ruined a lot of friendships yeah uh, and was basically just alone by myself mm-hmm. um yeah. still managed to hold on to a job because like i said I, I i'd never be like drunk at work or whatever mm-hmm. um so i'd just be alone in my apartment with my dog and i'd take down six beers and stare mm-hmm. at the tv for hours yeah. Uh, I wouldn't. I'd take forever to do laundry. My apartment was a mess. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't clean up or take care of myself. Hmm. Um, and I tried yeah. a lot of things to just, you know, kind of like, because I was having a crisis of confidence as well. Like I'd tried. Yeah. I. I. Dyed my hair. Mm-hmm. I went and uh, I got my lip piercings um mm-hmm. which i mean i'm not unhappy about the lip piercings and i'm happy with my tattoos and yeah those sort of things they they did make me happy but it wasn't the real kind of work that i needed to do right it was a survival order- thing more than anything yeah. yeah yeah just trying to fill the void with something right. that would but of course i was still a drunk i yeah i i drank a, a bunch and i'd uh, hit on and act otherwise inappropriately towards women at bars and i just wow. i probably should be dead several times <laughs> by now uh-huh. um i was just i kept hurting people in order to not i mean i I mean, I wouldn't say that I was actually trying to hurt people, but people kept being collateral damage right. in in me trying to not actually deal with the pain that I was uh, dealing with. Right. I um, yeah. And so I finally managed to get myself to some therapy. Um, I got on you know, medication and that sort of thing, Yeah. Uh, which that's always scary too, because you, you never know how a, a psychiatric medication is going to affect you. No. Um, when I told my parents that I was, I was going to therapy, I was going to, I was going to be on meds. My mom would always send me these kind of things that, you know, uh, about ill effects mm-hmm. that, people would have on these medications and I understand why she did this. She was scared for me. She wanted yeah. to make sure that I was okay. She wanted me to to be happy. Sure. Um yeah. And but it 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 did help me in 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 the long run uh to deal with that kind of stuff. Um yeah. 
because and to actually ha- handle have it done by a real professional who who dealt with that kind of stuff because I um the first actually major panic attack I had was just after I finished my undergraduate uh degree mm-hmm. I was working in a uh, factory here in Kentucky it was an auto parts factory mm-hmm. and I was on the line and I started having um I kept thinking that something was really wrong with my side. I thought that my appendix had burst or something. I just had this oh. ridiculous, like, horrible pain. Hmm. Um, went to the doctor after that. Nothing, of course, was physically wrong with me. Yeah. Um, it was all, all mental. And then the second time, I had another panic attack where I started um, hyperventilating. And then I blacked out and I woke up. Wow. As they were loading me into the ambulance. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I was. Uh, and then. I went to our GP who gave me a. It was kind of like half a placebo because he gave me psychiatric medication, mm-hmm. but it was not a therapeutic dose. It wasn't actually. Doing oh, I get for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And I thought that okay, I'm taking that. I'll be, I'll be fine. And but then, of course, that didn't. And I had a lot of years going up into my adult life that it didn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had to do it for myself. I went to a psychiatrist. I went to a therapist. Mm-hmm. I got a medication. I started to get into more routine of working out and. Um, and just in general, taking care of myself, taking time to really just sit down and feel emotions yeah. and yeah. connect with why I'm I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And it it still took a really long time to actually get to that kind of stuff. I took I did an uh, an ill conceived move to New York. Oh wow! Yeah, where I, <laughs> I stayed with my aunt and uncle for. About eight months trying to find a job in the publishing industry, mm-hmm. um, which is so insular that if you don't have some kind of publishing degree or some kind of in, it's really difficult to get into. And I didn't okay. know anybody. Yeah, that would that would be like <laughs> damn near impossible, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it was, and I ended up having to move back down here to Kentucky, yeah. um, which. You know, and I was trying to figure out, I was trying to, you know, I'd spent a couple months just laying on my parents' couch, not mm-hmm. doing anything, not being able to to get myself up to go find a job and yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I think until about, go ahead. Well, I think that, you know, because I remember doing a lot of stuff similar to that. You know, I didn't move to, to New York for a publishing job, <laughs> but um, I did a lot of moving around, you know, and I think for me and, you know, because I was taking medications and doing all the quote right things. But I think that because I had been raised to never really acknowledge those problems to begin with, um, 
even as I started getting better, I wasn't really sure what to do. And so for me, like the moving around was, you know, almost thinking that, well, if I move here, I can be happy. And then this can almost like wanting to make it a part of my past and not quite ready to accept that, no, this is, this is part of my life. I mean, it's not going to go away no matter where I live. And it was kind of a, an effort to, if I can just reestablish myself here and build a life here, I know I can be happy. And uh, I don't know if that's what was going on with you, but when I look back on it now, because this was like when I was in my 20s and I'm 44 now, I can see it clear as day that I was just really trying to outrun this thing, even as I was trying to deal with it, just because I was so poorly equipped to deal with it because of how I'd been raised, you know? Yes, yeah, that uh, that kind of born again thing. Like you you think when you, you, you convert... Or you, you know, you pledge yourself to Jesus, you're, you're born again, and you're a new person. That, yeah. that old person you were before is not you. Mm-hmm. And you try to, you try to carry that, you know, that idea, even after you left, like you think I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to be this big shot publisher, that person, that drunk in Kentucky is not yeah. me anymore. That's not me. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it really realizing that or admitting to myself that I, I I kind of I kind of a developed an appreciation for two kind of opposite things being true at the same time especially mm-hmm. a lot in dealing like getting outside and seeing Christianity like the Especially like I, I'd always used to associate Christianity with good people. They're Christian. They're good people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now it's like you can be Christian and you can be still be a bad person. Yep. And in the case of me, I, as much as I may want to leave behind all the wrong I did and all the hurt I caused, mm-hmm. I am the sum of those decisions. Yeah. But I'm not the sum of those decisions because I'm choosing to do better right they they lead me to do better because i'm not doing them anymore because i'm not make i'm being more conscious about who i am and what i'm doing and why i'm doing this right mm-hmm. um i i can't deny the parts of myself that are sad that get angry that get happy i cry yeah. so much more now at everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i saw a trailer for that dreamworks movie abominable and that made me tear up because oh. <laughs> <laughs> i just know it's like oh she's got a giant fluffy animal friend uh-huh. and i mean I'm, i've always been a pet owner my entire life i have my dog and and cats and all kinds of stuff and so yeah. like <laughs> you got this giant fluffy friend and they're gonna go on an adventure together and they're gonna f- love each other oh. <laughs> it just made me tear up <laughs> yeah i can see that though <laughs> and uh, i it feels it feels genuinely better and i feel more at peace not denying my own humanity right not being allowing myself allowing myself to be angry or to be upset about something or to cry or to just get excited and be happy Mm -hmm. and 
not having to be like this calm, collected man ready to do battle at any moment and all this kind of crap. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I just get to be a person. Yep. I get to cook and sew and knit and do fun things and not have to worry about my masculinity. Yeah. I, I don't drink anymore. Obviously, I've been it's been over two years now, but Good I will you. have a I'll have a fluffy fruity mocktail. <laughs> there you go. And admitting that I like raspberries and mangoes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> getting to just be a person. Yeah. Um, and of course, now I really kind of letting myself be that kind of stuff is what actually allowed me to admit that I had been sexually assaulted yeah. so long ago. I didn't actually come forward about it until um, it went public last December, just before Christmas. Okay. So this is very um, recent. Yeah, I I found myself finally admitting that I had been sexually assaulted and I wanted to do something about it because it wasn't just it wasn't just me that got sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. It it was very difficult in that environment in that victim and offender very much often got blurred. Mm-hmm. Um the person who would touch me inappropriately would also be touched by another boy. Okay. As some kind of weird dominant um, thing. Okay. Yeah. And they, they would always, it, it, some, it was very much a hierarchy boys club trying to form a weird secret society kind of thing. They had one in group where they would, uh, your initiation was that you had to rub icy hot on your genitals Oh god! And then, yeah, and just see how long you can last. Oh my god! That was your initiation, and you had to do this in front of everybody. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, it was just all kinds of crap like that all the time, mm. um, and so it took me like I finally had to figure out. Okay, if that's still going on. That means there's a lot of kids that are probably still being sexually assaulted. And not only being sexually assaulted, being encouraged to sexually assault others. Right. Yeah. Um, Becoming the sort of thing, becoming an an offender as well as a victim. Because I don't think that you always hear that kind of throwaway line where like you hurt, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Right. Kind of true on the surface. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other factors that go into it and especially for um there requires a certain level of grooming to become like some of those really horrible people that you see on the news uh i'm i'm willing to bet that a lot of the pastors that we've seen in the news and that kind of stuff um you know they've been taught in some form or fashion maybe not directly Mm-hmm. That this is the kind of thing is okay, especially mm-hmm. in the uh, highly patriarchal, highly authority centric um, Southern Baptist Convention. Right there, yeah. you you take someone who is trying to take out their hurt on other people and give them a position of power, or you take someone who. Um, 
is having sexual feelings that they don't know what to do with because mm-hmm. they've never taught been taught how to have a healthy relationship. Right. They're taught you're going to get married, you're going to have babies, you're going to be the king of your little kingdom. Right. You're, you're always going to be a place of authority. You're not just you're not going to have a partner mm-hmm. in a loving wife. Uh, if you're gay, you can't you can't do anything you about that. Can't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so much at least in my personal experience, to make me believe that people can be made into these kinds of things. Not excusing their behavior, of course. I'm not going to excuse myself for all my awful behavior. I'm not going to do it to anybody else. Right. Um, But it 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 doesn't excuse it, but it does help explain it. Yeah, it's an an explanation, not a justification. Right. where you, I mean, you see, like, you know, this is an extreme example, but you know, child soldiers and stuff yeah. who are beaten and 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 sexually assaulted, and even as they are taught to do that to other people, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. And of course, I mean, it's not. I consider it both those scenarios just as awful just because Christianity will kill you softly doesn't mean (laughs) that they're not going to get you eventually. Exactly. Yep. Um, So I think that they can be made. Yeah. um, Especially if you have been abused person and it's really so hard if you don't get out to, to fight against that programming that you've been given. Yes. Um, and I, I, like, I got lucky in mm-hmm. that I just kind of naturally got out without yeah. having to, you know, have somebody drag me out. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the, the evangelical culture, and I know that the SBC is like, you know, getting some uh, press for this, but it happens all through like, it's not just the SBC. I mean, there are many, many, many churches that have this issue. And the, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, the evangelical culture um, not only doesn't encourage talking about it, but people who do come forward are actively silenced. I've seen it happen, and I'm sure you've seen it happen. I mean, I've witnessed this firsthand. Yeah. Somebody comes forward, says, I was assaulted, and it you know, the character assassination begins immediately. And yeah. then you find out years later, oh, they were telling the truth. You know, so, yeah, unless you can get yourself out of that environment, um, it's going to be really hard to come to terms, not only with what happened to you, but also understand um, why it happened. or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how, it, how, thing, how A and B led to C. And then also, you know, when necessary, understanding how you in turn might have victimized other people in response to your own pain, you know, or, or in your case, like an initiation process of sorts, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that's difficult to parse through and requires a lot of a nuance in how you approach it, um, and like like you said, there's always the the denial and the attacking the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I 
got spared a fair amount of that because I, I hadn't been to the church in 15 years. Right. I not, I stopped talking to a lot of the people that I hang, I hung out with <laughs> and that kind of thing. And so as far as they were concerned, I showing up out of the blue just before Christmas and saying, Hey, I was sexually assaulted at this, um, sexually assaulted at your church. Mm-hmm. And they did everything that they could to, you know, shut it down. They didn't oh, well. try to let me talk try to let me talk to him. There were suddenly a bunch of tweets and uh, things like that from the pastor wow. talking about gossips. Oh my and goodness. Sort of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, blocked me on all social media, mm-hmm. that, that sort of stuff, trying to uh, just basically ignore the problem. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. I know the church is right now trying to hire more staff to, I, to create a safer environment for children. So mm-hmm. that's one thing that at least... And I know that happened because of me, because yeah. I came out and said, hey, this happened to me. I'm telling everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Eh. So I know that did happen. And that's one, at least a step in the right direction. Yep. But I know just from the way they acted that it doesn't matter how many people they get to try and prevent it. Um, it will continue to happen in the SBC until they address their theology. Yep. Um, their environments, everything about it, because it's not, if, if there was maybe 10 sexual predators in the SBC in the entirety mm-hmm. of its 150 year existence, mm-hmm. that would be just an anomaly, right. no more different than, than a sexual predator in like any big corporation. Right. Um, but in the past 30 years, there have been 800 plus cases. Yeah. So something is attracting them to those churches, mm-hmm. to that theology. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And they're just going to keep coming. It doesn't matter how many people they have to protect the children. It will probably happen again. And yeah. they will probably not protect the child. They'll nope. choose the church over the child. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what happens every single time. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that predators, you know, and and this isn't what we came here to talk about today, but here we are. So we might as well put it all out there. Um, you know, the church is a prime hunting ground for predators because one, they know that women and children are supposed to submit to the authority of men. So being most predators are male, I think that's pretty well established. So I know there are the anomalous females who are predators so i'm not ruling them out but what i am saying is most predators are are male and they attack women and children so if you are living if you are in an environment where women and children are automatically at a disadvantage because they have to submit to the authority of men i mean already right there that creates a primary environment for you know that's like prime hunting grounds for somebody who just wants to go in undetected you know, and knows that the, the odds are already in their favor because as soon as someone comes forward, it's most likely going to be a woman or a child. And they're already at a, you know, that person is already at a disadvantage just because of the gender of the person who attacked them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, yeah. you know, it, it really, the theology of well, the evangelical churches helps breed that environment. You're absolutely right. Well, and to circle around back around to mental health, um, a person having a mental health crisis is, of course, very vulnerable 
yep. to submitting to that sort of theology. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of people that churches look for. They're looking for desperate people mm-hmm. who need some kind of help. And they try to find that in religion. Yes. Um, and so you've got people who are already mentally vulnerable, mm-hmm. possibly suffering from mental illness, depending on who you are. Um, and you just have people who are trying to give themselves up wholly mm-hmm. to this church, this idea. And they, it's just, yeah, it's just a hunting ground. It's, it's, it's a field of sheep for a wolf mm-hmm. looking to find somebody they can eat. 100%. And, you know, I mean, do you ever wonder, cause I think about this a lot. I mean, I was never subjected to any sexual abuse within the church, but you know, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, that kind of thing. That was definitely a reality for me. Do you ever wonder um, if your mental health, I mean, I, I always wonder about this. It's like, would I have struggled the way that I did with depression and anxiety and the way I still struggle to this day um, had it not been for the church, had it not been for being raised in an evangelical culture. And I'll never know the answer to that, but I do wonder because when you're taught to hate yourself, you know, when the message you get week after week is that you're barely worthy of existing, let alone loving, but somehow God manages to do it anyway. (laughs) I mean, and they present that to you like it's something you should be grateful for. Um, It's really hard to, find any redeeming quality within yourself when that's what you hear day after day after day. And they tell you that it's biblical and that the Bible is infallible and it's unerring and we need to trust it. And so it's like, well, if the Bible says, according to this person that I trust, that I have no inherent worth whatsoever, that must be true. You know? Yeah. (laughs) And there was even that one verse, um, it's like Thessalonians or something, I think. Uh, it's basically saying that even the good things that you do aren't good bec- if you're not doing them with God in your heart because yeah. you're not good. Even even the even helping someone saving their lives is not a good thing because you're not Christian. You're right. not a follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's drilled into you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so when that starts eating at you and you're starting to see all that, see that, uh, you know, it's starting to have a dramatic effect on your life to think of yourself this way. Then when you reach out for help, there is no adequate help available to you. And as you mentioned, they strongly, they actively and strongly discourage getting help from a qualified professional. Because if you do that, then you're admitting failure. You're admitting that you haven't, you know, in their minds, you haven't been spiritually faithful. You have allowed yourself to be spiritually weak. You haven't been the kind of person that God called you to be. And the guilt trip just goes on and on and on and on and on. So it's really hard if you're in an evangelical environment to, number one, acknowledge that you have a, a mental health issue to begin with. And then to get any adequate help for that issue, uh, that's not going to happen. And then on top of that, you're going to be shamed for having the problem to begin with. Yeah, my my church was very much, um, they're very conscious of making sure you were not beholden to anything but the church, but Mm. God. Like you would, I, I remember one of the 
the adult who sexually assaulted me um, one time found out that one of the, the youth group kids was smoking. Mm-hmm. And of course, he found out in the worst way possible. The kid had tossed his butt into a bush and the bush caught oh, no. fire. There's yeah. so many jokes to be made there, but yes. Yep. <laughs> a burning bush right in front of a tree. Right. <laughs> um, but so he found this kid in the middle of the youth group, like common area, and just screamed at this kid oh. in the top of his lungs, oh my. Um, telling him how stupid he was for smoking. Don't you know what happens when you smoke that kind of thing? Um, like even cigarettes or soda or having something that like, can you would consider addictive it was just like you need to stop that now you don't need to be you don't need to be having those cigarettes you don't need to be drinking so many sodas you need to make sure you're you're always focused on god and not mm-hmm. eating too much or whatever mm-hmm. like you it they wanted to make sure you weren't beholden to anything else and that even now the church my old church has what they um it's it's basically their own little christian counseling center mm-hmm. They encourage everybody to go to it. And they're, of course, capitalizing on the COVID-19 quarantine right now, telling people, we're going to offer services, you know, mental health kind of Don't stuff do it. Don't you want to put another, like, a warning yeah. commercial out there? Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had the money. Yeah. And, like, this is, how much, this is how much sway they have in my town mm-hmm. is they were tweeted – they were retweeted and, uh, you know, word spread about their counseling center uh, by a county judge. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And I was just sitting here like, no, um, this is so messed up. Because, right. like, if I ever managed to be able to in some way get it to trial, <laughs> am I going to have to go before this right. judge? Clearly, he's biased. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very disheartening. But, yeah. like, you know, they're they're it's like I was talking about earlier. They're trying to capitalize on desperate people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this small town where there's already a lot of poverty, there's a lot of drug use. We're down here in the South. So there's tons of opioids and meth everywhere yeah. um, that you can get for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go, they go for desperate people yep. to, in order to convert them and bring them over to, a religion and if you go to one of their counselors they're going to try to get you to give your li- give your life to yep. god they're not actually going to help you they're not nope. going to be focused on helping you because it's going to be geared towards conversion yes yep uh and it's it's terrifying honestly like to yeah. to think that there are people that are scared and they're going to go to that they're going to call that helpline or whatever and they're going to go to that christian counseling center and they're not going to get what they need no in order to heal or to face what's going on. Yeah. And then, you know, if they don't comply with the counselor, because there are going to be some people who won't, obviously, then you and I both know the shame is going to come and the guilt trip. Well, of course, you've got all these problems in your life here. You have an opportunity to make a choice that could make it all better. And you're choosing not to. And, you know, it's just, yeah, you want to warn people and just be like, don't yeah. fall for this because this isn't real help. It's just like the, the quote clinics that set themselves up next to abortion providers. They're not real clinics and they're not actually going to help you. Yeah. They're just trying to um, convert you to their way of thinking. And it's so dangerous. And, you know, because I know from, from personal experience, and I'm sure many people do that 
when you're trying when you're taking a mental illness that requires professional treatment and you're trying to handle it with bible verses and prayer not only are you not dealing with it but the whole time that illness is just it's making progress it's not slowing down just because you decided to throw the bible at it <laughs> you know yeah um by the time i finally got help i mean i was in my mid 20s I had been seriously depressed for as long as I could remember, and I knew that I, if I didn't take it upon myself to get some help, I wasn't going to be around much longer. And I called a secular, or I actually, I did, I will, I will say this, I did call at first a hotline number I saw in the back of a Christian book. And then they, to their credit, directed, you know, they called 911 for me and had someone come to my house and then I was taken to the hospital. But I do not believe for a second that every Christian counselor out there would do that, <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah. I know from experience that they won't. I know that with, with everything in me that they won't because I've experienced that where I have been in dire situations with my mental health and I did not get the help I need because, like you said, you know, they want to have agency over everything. They do not want us beholden yeah. to anyone else. And, you know, to them, the end game is always your conversion and being able to say that they fixed it with Bible and prayer. Yeah, that's uh, they, they want the glory on having saved a person. Because yep. um, the only person I mean, it's difficult to say this kind of thing. But you, you can never help somebody unless they want to be helped, yeah. especially in regards to mental illness. Mm -hmm. it's, you absolutely need a support system. Yes. You absolutely need people that you can go to and talk to. But at the end of the day, this is your illness yep. that you have to figure out how to manage and how to, to deal yes. with. Um, I've had people tell me, it's like, I was depressed for a while, but I'm cured now. Um and I'm not entirely convinced that you can cure a mental illness. No. I'm not, I fully expect to be having to deal with this my entire life. Yeah. Um, nothing is going to just magically make it go away. Nope. Um, I actually, you were talk the way you were describing of, you know, what the Christian counselors do. I this reminded me of how before I deconverted, I used to always get kind of irrationally angry. Mm -hmm. And some after I deconverted as well, I would get irrationally angry at like self-help books mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I would always be like, why am I so angry at this? I mean, I guess people are doing, you know, people seem to be doing fine. Yeah. They, it maybe helps them a little bit, gives them that little boost that they need to, to you know, do whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, why am I so angry <laughs> at yeah. these books? <laughs> and I realized that it was the same sort of, you know, same kind of crap that I would hear in Christianity is just put positive thoughts yes. out, um, change the way you think kind of thing. It's like, well, not everybody can nope. do that. That's why I'm getting so angry at these kind of things. It's like, not everybody can just sit there and say, I'm going to repeat this, this little mantra every day and be better. Mm -hmm. um, when, you know, there are people who struggle to make sure that they brush their teeth in the morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, which I know we wanted to uh, get to talking about how dealing with mental health and in, in quarantine, um, which is kind of just how I'm dealing with my yeah. mental health. Radio. I mean, like I said, it didn't it didn't change my routine as mm -hmm. much, but now of course you've got instead of 
I have to sit here and worry about my existential. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There, there's now an actual death hovering around outside. Right. Right. And so it's just like, okay, we can't, we, we have to take active steps to deal with these emotions right now. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do, you know, all the things I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that I change uh, clothes every day, not wear the same shirt twice in a row. Because I mean, there you go. Even like, even if you're, even if you're not dealing with mental illness or anything like that, it's specifically in this sort of um, harrowing time period. Yeah. If you're at home for three days, <laughs> a lot of people are just like, "Eh, why change sweatpants?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> These ones aren't too so, bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't need a shower today. I can. Right. <laughs> I can do it day after tomorrow yeah but i mean that's just the basic things and it's really it's helping me it's just um having my grooming routine Mm -hmm. you know brushing my beard and doing the oil and all that kind of stuff um shaving the sides of my head and brushing my teeth and uh finally got some i'm out in the middle of kind of nowhere we're sort of a boondock suburb Oh, okay Um, yeah so I, i i'd be free to I got new running shoes. I'm going to actually get back in shape. I'm about to turn 30. So I should do a little bit, take care of myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I can get out there and just do some exercise and try to establish a routine, uh, eat good food, mm-hmm. uh, trying to cook more. Yeah. Just because I enjoy cooking. I, did, I don't, but I mean, you know, I live in a house with two other people. And, you know, my mom usually cooks and that's just part of their routine. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure they'd like me to cook more, but we, you know, we just, we just don't do it. And And trying to actually take time. And I used to sit up late and watch TV before I went to bed. Now I'm trying to read because I wanted to get back to actually enjoying reading something. I've always loved books and and writing. And now I'm just trying to sit down and read a book before Mm -hmm. I go to bed. I think that's excellent. You know, that's, and I started doing that too. I mean, I was at first, I would stay up late and watch movies and stuff. And I noticed I just wasn't sleeping well and everything. And that, that affects my mental health tremendously. If I'm not getting enough sleep, I can spiral down into a deep depression very, Mm -hmm. very easily. And so I've started reading right before uh, sleep too. And you know, it just puts you in a different state of mind. You know, it's much more soothing and relaxing to me than watching a movie or cause, especially because I tend to like to watch documentaries, which are terrible to watch right before you try to go to sleep because you're like, <laughs> but what about this? Now I need to watch that. But, you know, and I think I think reading is an excellent practice because it is like it's like a, a pause. And I don't think we get enough yeah. of those. I mean, right now with the quarantine, um, I think that we're being given the both, you know, it's a blessing and a curse in so many ways, but it's a pause and it's a chance to, yeah. to you know, catch your breath because especially I think in American culture, we just don't, we don't get enough of that and we don't take enough of that when it's available. And right now, um, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of people who are struggling because I know a lot of people are struggling right now. You know, they've been out of work. Um, you know, unemployment hasn't kicked in, their stimulus checks haven't arrived, and people are, are struggling, and they're legitimately worried. 
But at the same time, you know, because we can't change the situation, you know, we can't wish it away. Um, this is a good time to just catch your breath, whatever that means to anybody. Um, maybe it's cooking more since we can't all eat out as much as we were anymore. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it's a weird situation because we don't, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, it, it is kind of one of those things where it's like, let's, you know, you can make the best of it that you can. And I know that's so easy for me to say because, you know, I'm pretty comfortable in the middle of quarantine. I don't mind not being able to go out financially. We're okay. You know, so that's very easy for me to say. And so I don't want to minimize or dismiss what anyone is experiencing. But the, the reality is there's nothing we can do about this right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. In, in, in lieu of being able to affect what's going on around us, we have to be able to take care of ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. So... Because um, that's all we can really do at this point right now is yeah. just survive and help each other. Yep. Yep. So you're in a place now in your life where, you know, you understand what good mental health hygiene is and, and how to um, navigate that. That must feel like what, because when I think back to like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and where I was in my, in managing my mental health at that time, I just feel so sad for that, for that past me, you know, that she didn't have the help she needed. She didn't have the support she needed. And because I didn't have what I needed back then, um, I made a lot of choices that consequently have me renting an apartment from my parents in their basement. But, you know, here we are, you know, um, you know what do you think about then? And when you think about now, what do you feel? What do you think? Um, I kind of, I kind of miss that kid a little mm -hmm. bit. I miss how, because I always wanted to be a writer mm -hmm. ever since I was little and write novels and, and that kind of thing. And I mean, right now I'm trying to write more um, essays and nonfiction and write about my experiences or religion and that kind of thing. And it's something I am wholly not trained for <laughs> as far as writing goes. I have, I have a master's in writing. Mm -hmm but it's entirely focused on fiction. Oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> and, and I would have, even in, when I would write fiction in college, we'd have to give, you know, we'd have to give stories to our classmates for them to read and critique and that kind of thing. I would pathologically avoid writing about myself. Okay. <laughs> or anything <laughs> even close to myself or that sort of stuff that I went to. So it's, I'm learning how to do that again. Yeah. And, but it's also made, like, my, the stories the fictional stories that I'm imagining harder to connect with and to, to um, sort of parse out and follow a sequence of events. And I kind of miss that kid who would run around in his backyard all day um, and play with his imaginary friends and just had like the free emotion or the free imagination. Um, and... Mm -hmm. I guess in my head, I'm sort of picturing the one, the kid before everything that happened yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, and I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that wanted to, I want to help other kids mm 
because I couldn't help myself. Right, right. Um, I couldn't save myself, and I maybe on some level do want to still save myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the other thing I had to learn really the hard way is that there, the Christian redemption doesn't exist. Yeah. That you're not just, you don't just say sorry and it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you have to do the work. Um, yeah. And I'm trying real hard. <laughs> Well, you are, and And... it's not easy work, and it's not work that's, like, one and done. Like, once I do this thing, I'm going to be fine. It's not like that at all. No, and especially with dealing with a lot of the toxic behavior I learned, I still, you know, I still catch myself. I still have to catch myself, you know, don't say that thing. Don't get, you you don't have a place in that conversation. You don't need to be involved. You're like, that's not, that's not Mm you. Um. And I still fall into it, and and I've gotten a lot better. But I mean, it's just something that you have to constantly do yeah. every day. Um, well, and it's a lot harder, but it's a lot more worth it. I think. It is. It is. You know, we were like we were mentioning earlier. We were trained to be that person. You know, to insert ourselves into every situation and to assume that you know we had something relevant to say about every topic, and you know everything that everyone was talking about needed our insight. <laughs> And it, and you know, those, it, it's, you know, you, we can laugh about it, but at the same time, it's a problem and it, it causes a lot of harm by doing that. And it, it is, it takes work to understand that, that some places just aren't for us. You know, some conversations are not ours to have, you know, we don't need to insert ourselves into those situations. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it, it is, it is work to get to the point of, realizing that and then even once you realize that like you said you have to remind yourself you know because i'll see conversations on social media that i'm like oh but 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 and i want to say something but i'm like you know that's not really that's not really my place this isn't my conversation this isn't about me whatsoever and they don't really need to hear what i think (laughs) you know right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it gets to the point where it's like you're like okay i don't even need to I don't even try to add to the joking comment section of this because this is not for right. me. This is <laughs> this is not like you know I follow like uh, uh, Tori Douglas and Andre Henry mm-hmm. on there and uh, I don't know her real name but uh, PDX Pestle or Pestle uh-huh. um, young woman in or- the young witch in yep. Oregon who sells a lot of teas. <laughs> um, but you know I see a lot of the- I see a lot of them joking around and saying specific kind of things. But you know it's like just like I don't need to. Even even when they, you know, you want to kind of, because, I mean, they seem like cool people. Yeah. I'd love to be friends yeah. with them. Yeah, um, they do. <laughs> but, you know, and it's, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I don't need to jump in mm-hmm. there. And I don't need to try to insert myself into every situation and every right. joke. Because, um, I mean, that's that's how far it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, that's how you think that you make friends. Right is you jump in whether or not you were right (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and you try to you try to draw attention it's hard to you know because we were never really taught that and i don't know that's just i don't think that's exclusive to evangelicalism i think that a lot of people were not taught how to allow relationships to develop organically 
you know, how to find your people. But I think it's especially difficult when you've come out of the church, which was your community for a really long time. And the people, you thought you had people. people, And then you find out that you don't. And I think it's really, and I was talking to another former evangelical about this earlier. It's really hard to find your people. And it's really hard to know how to make connections in healthy ways. Because like when you first come out of, you know, the evangelical culture, and especially when you first realize, oh my gosh, there are literally thousands of other people who are, who had the same, you know, experience as me out there on the internet, <laughs> you know, I think it's easy to make yeah. um, relationships, but they're based strongly on trauma. And what, you know, after you've done that for a while, then you realize, well, wait a minute, if I have all these relationships that are based entirely on rehashing trauma, um, there's really no room for healing here because as soon as we begin to heal, that threatens the relationship, you know? And so then you have to navigate, yeah. okay, now how do I find people who ha- who understand my experience and who have shared my experience, but have also grown beyond needing to rehash this trauma, like all the time, you know, because after you leave, yeah. you do develop, you do build a life after that. There is life outside of that bubble. You know, and, you know, so finding people who because this is kind of where I am and I'm fortunate that I have found some people like this um, who understand the trauma of growing up that way, who understand the trauma of leaving that and finding yourself without community, who know what it is to form those trauma bonds that seem so great at first, but you eventually realize this is not it. (laughs) You know, and then you, you, you yeah. just you just grow as people. You don't always have to identify constantly as, well, I'm a, you know, some people use ex-evangelical, post-evangelical, whatever term you want to apply to yourself. And uh, I think that's that's both a really good place and a really hard place. And that's where that inclination comes in to want to insert yourself into those situations and conversations with people who seem to really have it together, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, well, wait, they, they didn't invite me in. And <laughs> I know from experience, yeah. this is not how to make friends, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And then sometimes you get a weird, um, sometimes it just yeah. happens and you're like, how the, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're just like, suddenly you've got someone you can just talk very yep. easily with and, because uh, you have a shared interest or whatever, mm-hmm. and you just like, okay, how do I replicate this? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. And you just didn't. You have to figure it all out once you're once you're finally left the fold. Yeah. Like you, you, I feel like you're you're a six year old in first yeah. grade. You got to figure out how to make friends it is again. So, it's very much like that, and it's the strangest thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm 44, and I'm only just figuring out how to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know like i know people who did not grow up like we did and they're like yeah i've got you know they we've been friends since first grade and i'm like how how are you friends since first grade and you know y- y'all didn't go to church together well, like <laughs> you know because we yeah and that happens in uh that happens in small right. towns too like my town's not not especially big yeah. but i've gone i've i've there are people i've literally known my entire wow. life. Wow. <laughs> yep. And we moved here when I was like 10. So there are some people I've, I've known since I was 10, but because, well, partly because of the weird way I was brought up, I just never became really tight friends with anyone here. And so now at yeah. 
44 and with a child of my own and I'm no longer evangelical and yada, 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 you know, I'm finding that it's very, it's very different now. And, um, I think part of it too, especially like, and you can, you can relate to this. It sounds like when you're in the same area where you grew up, it's almost like you have to show people that you're not that same person. <laughs> you know, I am not that the mess yeah. that I was back then. Just trust me on this, <laughs> you know, and it's hard to know how to convey that message. But what I'm finding, and this is, I think the blessing of social media, um, you know, I do have people on my social media on Facebook who are from my town. And in that way, you know, like they say the weird whacked out stuff that I post and they're like, oh, my gosh, you're just like me. <laughs> you know? And you, you find yeah. your weirdos, you know, you, you it's like you send up yeah. your weirdo beacon and people find you. <laughs> and so, I mean, it, it can happen. But as we were, you know, getting back to what we were saying, it doesn't happen by inserting ourselves into those situations and, and then it's kind of like I could just imagine it where people are just standing there in a circle having fun and then you jump in or you know and then they just stand there looking at each other like well what do we do <laughs> <You know? laughs> we don't want to yep. be rude but what do we do <laughs> I've experienced that in real life yes. and online yes same <laughs> <laughs> oh well before we head out I I'm going to do two things first I want to um send out some, I wanted to give people a couple hotlines they can call because I know this mental health stuff can, you know, touch on a lot of really sensitive things. So if you are struggling, um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. And if you call that number, you will be connected to someone who can um, help you through the crisis of the moment. And they can connect you with a lifeline that is local to you. Also, there is the crisis text line with the um, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and that you just text to 741741, and you will be connected with a trained counselor, and they are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, Ford, did you want to tell people how to get connected with you on social media? How do they find you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you can. I'm most active on my Twitter. Uh, it's just at Ford underscore Ebling, F-O-R-D underscore E-B-L-I-N-G. Uh, I talk about my experiences a lot. Um, I talk about religion and just kind of sort of a little bit in real time deconstructing a lot of the ideas that I held um, Yeah. as a young Christian. <laughs> um and I also post pictures of my dog <laughs> and make a bunch of nonsensical comments about movies. There you go. So there's a, you get what you yeah. get with me when you That's follow right. Me. And it's, I love following you. I, I think that we've had some fun conversations. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter. I am Stephanie Mick 75 and that is S T E P H A N I E M I C K 75. And I talk about everything. I swear a lot sometimes if I'm real mad about something, um, <laughs> I post, Oh yeah, that's uh, that's something I yeah. as well. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. I was, yeah. I, was trying to, I was trying to be. Tamed I know. I try to. I mean, I try to like <laughs> clean up my language because I don't know who's listening to this. I don't know if people are listening with their kids or whatever. But you know, the occasional f bomb is dropped on this show. So, <laughs> but anyway, it's been really fun talking to you today, Ford, and thank you for sharing about your own experiences and uh, with this with this subject that is. Um, 
you know, even after leaving the bubble and, and building a life, it can be tough to grapple with sometimes. So thank you for your vulnerability there. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. And everyone out there, stay home, stay safe, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And I will talk to you.